So have you ever picked up like an electronic device and um, you know, wonder how this thing works? Some of you mostly like, no, I've grown up with electronic devices, I don't think about those things. But I was uh, in third grade, I was learning about multiplication tables, our teachers decided to teach us and introduce us to calculators. And when this calculator, the, the, they introduced us to these solar calculators. What's so common to you today was brand new uh, when I was in third grade. And so they, they introduced these solar calculators. And I remember being so fascinated this thing had no battery. And so I don't know about you if you have ever did this, but I would take my solar calculator in class and I put my finger over the, the solar panels, right? And what happens? The, the numbers start to fade, right? And then I'd take my finger back off and expose it to the light and the, the, it comes back strong. And then I would do it again and it would fade. And then i take it off and it would come back strong. And I discovered something about my life. I'm a lot like a solar calculator, and maybe so are you, in that, that if I'm not exposed to the light of Christ, I find that my spiritual vitality and energy fades. And I find that when I expose myself to the light of Jesus Christ, I find I'm empowered again to do what He made me to do. And so today we're starting a new series called Powered by prayer. And it's kind of a misnomer because we're really not powered by prayer. We're powered by the Holy Spirit. But prayer is the way we connect. It's the way we begin to have a conversation. You can go to read the Bible without prayer, but when you do, it's just an intellectual experience until you begin to talk to God about what it is you're reading. So, so we're, well, it's the whole idea of the worship and being in the Word. It's the whole experience. So when we say prayer, we mean the dynamic of encountering God. Does that make sense? Your intentional choice to be in His presence, to take your finger off the cover of your heart and let the light of Jesus expose it so that you come on full power. Amen. And that's where we're going to go at uh, in this, this time. And um, so we're, we're doing this teaching series, and, and I want to help you understand something. Many of you have come to Lifeway really in the last year. We, we've probably grown like, I don't know, 200, 200 250 people in the last year. That means you don't even know the original vision, most of you, for why we started uh, this ministry. So previously, Lydia and I had pioneered a ministry called the Gateway House of Prayer. That's in Ephrata, uh, down, down in Ephrata, Pennsylvania. And in the dynamic of that ministry, we began to, to have a time of worshiping God, a time of seeking God's face. I wanted to bring a community of, of, region, of the church together, multiple churches coming together to seek God together. And it ended up being most of the pastors wouldn't come, just different people who were kind of into prayer would come, and they would join and pray in this place. And we got to doing it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's been going for over, oh, it's, I mean, the 24-7 part's over 10 years. I think the ministry started in 05, so what are we at? We're 14 years. It's three years in, we began to go 24 hours a day, seven days a week, seeking God. And you may wonder why, and you're, we're going to definitely help you understand that. But what's most important is that Lydia and I went to uh, a gathering down in... Uh, Atlanta. And we were processing whether or not we were to leave the house of prayer and plant the church. Now understand if you've been pioneering something, how many are a pioneer to business? That thing gets going, it's finally working. Imagine the Holy Spirit saying to you, now leave that thing that's working finally and go start something else. I'm like, no. I mean, yes, sir. You know, but, but I felt like no. And so we're working through it. Lydia definitely felt more of a no than I did. And we were at this worship, we were worshiping in this meeting and, and this man came up to us and he, and he felt like the Holy Spirit gave him a, a, a prophetic word for us. What that means is he felt like the Holy Spirit told him something, and he felt led to share it with us. So he comes up and says, hey, I, I believe the Lord's told me to tell you that you're not called to do the house of prayer thing. We're like, what? You're called to plant a praying church. Really moved our hearts because that was in our hearts. And I want you to know that when we planted Lifeway, you are those people. 
And some of you may look at yourself and think, my prayer life is deficient. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to do this. We want to help that process. Nobody starts out knowing what in the world they're doing. But I do believe this. God is not looking for prayer specialists. Those are the people that kind of like it. He wants his people to be a house of prayer for all nations. And we are called to be that the church of Jesus, and definitely Lifeway Church, is called to have an emphasis in the arena of prayer and in the emphasis of discipleship. And we're going to talk about those things in the next two series. And so let's dive in. The title of my message today is called Cleanse the Temple. And I'm going to start in Matthew 21, verse 12 through 14. It says this. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers. By money changers, he's talking about people who were taking, it's called money changing because they were taking the cattle that they had to sell for the sacrifices and exchange it for, you know, for money. They, people would bring their money and get their cattle, and then they could go in and worship God. And so, uh, so Jesus was flipping over these tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves and other cattle. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Now, um, I just want to point out something to you that's really important. Jesus, as he's going through this, and I want to tell you, you understand the zeal that Jesus had, because this, this version doesn't tell you that, but in the, in the John version of this story, I think it's in John chapter 2, Jesus comes in, probably with his disciples, he's looking around, probably like, you know, like John Wayne in an old Western, for those who are old enough to know what I'm talking about, you know. Or Clint Eastwood when the sound's going, you know, he's looking around at this temple where they're doing stuff he doesn't like, right? And it says he found some cords and he braided a whip, like calculating everything he's about to do. And then he, and then I don't know what point he decides to go all cowboy on him, but he's like, yeah, get this out of here. You thieves, you robbers, you've you messed up my father's house. This should be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. There is a passion in Jesus' heart, but it's not, it's not just an angry, misguided passion. It's the passion of someone who understands the purpose of something that, and that's not being used for its intended purpose. So we want to dive into that today. But here's something I want you to note before we do. This passage highlights something. My house shall be called a house of prayer. That's what God made it. You have made it a den of thieves. You can make, in other words, we can take something that God made for one purpose and use it for another. We can do it with our bodies. We can do it with our souls, like what we put in our minds. We can do it with our spirits. And we can do it with the church of Jesus Christ because the church of Jesus Christ is a bunch of body, souls, and spirits coming together to worship Jesus. And it means we get Lifeway Church, as we're doing a new facility, as we're doing these things, as we serve coffee, as we offer different services and availability things here to make it convenient for you to worship God, we can do things that get in the way of the very thing we're trying to help. So I want to look at, I want to mine out of this passage what God intended His people to be and how they drifted from it and see how that, how, what, you know, and what that, the impact of that is on us. And so... Let's talk first. Let's answer this question. What, what, what was the temple to God? Because Jesus came in, like he felt like he had a right to kick over temples. You imagine somebody kicked over your, your business? Like walked up and like, like, boy, I'm about to jack you up. Jesus like, I'm about to call down fire from heaven. No, he didn't, wasn't going to do that. But my point is, is that that would feel very personal, very invasive, right? Almost scary. What was the temple to God? Well, the temple, temples in general, in any religion, 
are a contact point with their God. That's what a temple is ultimately. You can maybe we can, we can say it a lot of different ways, but it's a contact point for God. So for the Jews, their God, they knew him by the name, a lot of different names, El Shaddai, Yahweh, uh, Elion. I could go through all the different names of God, but the bottom line is El, the idea of God, Yahweh being a name they would even speak out loud kind of thing. He was so holy. And this is the God they were worshiping, right? When I was in uh, Vietnam, Cambodia, Thailand doing ministry, I've done missions all over the world. And in the place of, uh, of Vietnam, Cambodia, and Thailand, they have real temples. Like, I'd never been to a place that had temples, like big gold temples. And, and like, you'd think they would know that these things are demonic, because at the end of the temple, you would have, like, these seven-headed hydras at the end of these things. And I'm like, you can't tell that this is not, like, like, if I was a kid and saw, let's go worship our God. Our God is snakeheads. No, you know. And, and so, uh, and seven of them, you know, and, and on each one, and they're right there at the archway when you walk in, there was an oppressive darkness you could feel. See, the people had created a contact point to meet with their God, and surely their God was present. I could feel him. And Lydia and I visited several churches while we were down in uh, Florida during our, a couple churches uh, while we were down in Florida uh, during our trip. And, and, and both, so as I say what I'm about to say, I want to say this. The people in these churches were, were lovely people. I mean, I mean it with all my heart. Genuinely good-hearted people. Well, one church we came into, there was meeting in a school building. The other one had their facility. The other one was going through a renovation. They just started their renovation and said, we're going to be done by the summer. I was like, God bless you, brother. I hope so. Do not be deceived. Anyway, um, so, so we... we uh, we, I interacted with a different. I interacted with one of the pastors. These are really good people. But the one thing I was aware of uh, in both situations, one of them I could sense, you know, a kind of a sublime sense of the presence of God. And the other one, it was they had their stuff together. They knew how to welcome people. They had like smoke and lights, and their worship was skillful and and all that stuff. The message was it was good, you know. It wasn't bad. It wasn't great. It was just good, you know. And and when I when I thought about all of it when I left, I thought, you know, what's missing? The missing ingredient is the sense of the awareness of the presence of God. That's what God's church is supposed to be. You know, in the Bible, in the book of uh, Luke chapter 1, it says this, verse 10, When the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So this is when the temple's functioning properly. Notice what it says. The time of burning incense. The time of burning incense was the hour of prayer for the Jews. That means they had a regular scheduled time for prayer. And listen, who's all gathered outside? The worshipers. What are they there to do? Have a corporate prayer meeting together. So it wasn't just about their individual prayer life. It was about coming together to pray and seek God together. And look at what happens while they're praying. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, Zechariah as the priest, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw the angel, he was startled and was gripped with fear. I would say so. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He'll be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He'll bring back many of the people of Israel to the the Lord, their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, I want you to understand what he was saying here at this point, and I'll jump back in. Elijah to them would be like like, uh, if if Captain America was real and a real person 
And, 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 and somebody came up and an angel appeared to you and said, your son shall go forth in the spirit and power of Captain America. Okay, so like, like to, to Zechariah, this angel came and said, your son is going to be a superhero in the land of Israel. And he's like, what? Look, I'm old. My wife's old. And, and I don't see how it's going to be. And so uh, he's, working through, he, he's working through this. This is what he was hearing. In this place of prayer, at the time of incense, an angel shows up, clearly not an everyday experience for him. The angel speaks to him, gives him this prophetic message. And Zechariah says, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife's about long in years. The angel said to him, now listen to the angel, what he says. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent, not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true in their appointed time. Listen to what the angel is saying. Zechariah, do you have angels show up to you every day? <laughs> like, I don't know why this is hard to believe, but listen, let me tell you who I am. My name's Gabriel. I stand, I live my life standing in the presence of God. In other words, the basis of my authority to speak into your life is because I have come from the presence of God. Therefore, you should listen to me. But because you didn't, you're going to be mute for a season. You're not going to be able to talk until your son's born, basically. People say, why, did, why would he do that? I, I think the reason was he didn't want this guy running around like all cursing God's promise with unbelief and stuff. Like, oh, um, you know, um, whatever. Just saying, oh, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And kind of sowing unbelief into the culture. So he just, you're going to be quiet until it happens. Then, then you'll open your mouth again. So that's what, that's what happened. And so he... Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. It was a long prayer meeting. When he came out, he could not speak to them, and they realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant for five months. She remained in seclusion. She said, the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, uh, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. I want you to notice something. In a healthy house of prayer, in a healthy temple where the, where the purpose of seeking God is happening, an angel shows up, prophetic ministry happens, revelations coming forth, right? The people in a healthy temple environment, when they saw him, they noticed they said, oh, he's not speaking, he's motioning. He must have seen a vision. How many, if I came out quiet one day, well, that would be the first thing you'd think of. I mean, I know I talk a lot. But would you say, oh, he saw an angel, he saw a vision. The modern church barely believes that God does this stuff. Yeah, Are you following me? Yeah. At least I should say that. Because we haven't said, we say the modern church, we're not even the largest church in the world anymore. China believes it, and they are the largest church in the world, or close to it, India. They believe it too. So the, the, the Western-minded culture that says God doesn't do this, this, this rational thinking has made itself an idol. And I think it's a table that Jesus wants to kick over. I think it's something that he wants to, st to help us to say, look, man, I'm not the Lord. I don't get all the stuff. You're God. I'm not. How do you want to do this? How can I have a kid, Lord? We, we approach God with our unbelief about all our issues, don't we? How can I, how can this be? How do you ask one you call God, how can this be? Which part of God did you not understand? And if there's a limitation to him, then he's not God. Why in every service does it always get so quiet? <laughs> so why all this study? Like, like when I look at this healthy temple, 
And I look at what God did there. There's a prayer meeting, prayer proceeding, presence and power. There's, there's people gathered. What, what, you know, um, why all this? Well, and I want to point out to you, Zechariah, his normal routine and the priestly routine was to do this every day. They would go light incense every day, just a different person. All right, here's my point. We often, I hear people say, man, I'm, we just need a move of God. I'm praying for a move of God. We need a move of God. And when a move of God happens, then I'll get serious. When a move of God happens, we need revival. I'm like, have you ever noticed something that in the Bible, in the ordinary routine of seeking God, God, so in the ordinary, God does the extraordinary. And some of you want the extraordinary before you're willing to commit to the ordinary. And I'm saying to you, if you'll commit to the ordinary day in and day out, faith-filled seeking of God with the simple expectation that he might show up and talk to you out of the scriptures, that he might speak to you by the Holy Spirit, that, that your prayer time might come alive, that it doesn't have to be a double dead experience. Like, wow, it's so dead. It's double dead. And you can come with a simple faith and that God will meet you there. God can transform not only us, he can transform our region. And this is what it means for Lifeway to be a house of prayer. Why all the study in the temple? Like, what, what's it mean for you and me? Well, 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you're the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? In other words, all this talk about temples was symbolic about us. And whatever is true of the temple is true of us. Are you following me? If the temple is supposed to be a place that people can connect with God and you are now the temple and it's not made of sticks and bricks and gold. It's you. When you are born again and filled with the Holy Spirit, then you should be not only a connection of God for your life, but you should be a connection of God for the, all the lives you come in contact with because you're a mobile temple unit. MTU, baby. That's way better than MTO. Mobile temple unit. And Paul said, Paul, when Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians 3.16, he was challenging the nation on how they should build their lives. You're either building with something eternal or you are building with things that are temporary. And we have a lot of temporariness in our lives. You know what I think is so amazing? I, I love, I'm a technology guy. I'm a technology nut, actually. And I, I, well, I've seen that decrease as I'm getting older. My hunger for God is reigniting and re-increasing. You know the most amazing thing to me about digital products and digital technologies, you don't actually have anything. I got light blips on a screen. If I download a PDF document that I paid for, $15, get this thing. And I download that and I look at it, I don't actually have anything. I don't have a physical something I'm taking with me. Are you following me? So the idea that we could fill our lives with emptiness and something that's temporary is probably more true in our 21st century than ever. And so you're either building with eternal things, you're building with temporary things. And so we, we, this, the question I got asked, though, because when I look at this whole situation, like Jesus has, he has a beef with these guys, these, these sellers. And I, I want to help you understand what it is. Because I think from the, sell, from the perspective of those selling in the temple, I imagine one day there's some Jewish guys sitting around and they're, they're looking at this temple worship and they're seeing people like bringing their cattle from miles away and they're thinking, man, we can improve this process. Just like business, that's what businessmen do, right? We're like, I'm, 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 an, I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneurial in me. I'm always looking at how can we make this better, right? Excellence, that's the question we ask. So I'm looking at how can we make this better? And I'm like, hey, what if they didn't have to transport their cattle? Like what if we provided a little convenience store right here at the temple where they come, they get, we will pre-inspect the cattle. It's pre-inspected. We got the best ones. It's better than yours. All you got to do is come bring your money and then we'll give you a cattle and you can go in or you're a dove or whatever you're sacrificing and you can go worship the Lord with it. 
And, I'm, and so how do, how do we get there? How do we go from having these experiences like they're having in the temple 30, 30 to 35 years before Jesus comes on the scene to 30 to 35 years later, Jesus is making bull whips and flipping over tables. How did they go from that? They had a collective agreement. Listen to me. They had a collective agreement that convenience in worship is a good idea. Pausing to let that settle in. And when I was on sabbatical, God had to go after things in my life. I'm a lead pastor of Lifeway Church. I can make, and with the building project, I can give you 121 ways from Sunday why I don't have time for prayer. And it's interesting because if you ever read the book of Job, it's like the worst book in the Bible to read, in my opinion. I mean, I hate that book personally, but I know a lot of people like, I think our brother-in-law has taught through it a few times. And so I'm like, he's here today. Pastor Steve, would you wave your hand? Let's give, thanks for that. Okay. So my brother-in-law's taught for it several times. So when you get to the end of the book of Job, right, it's all Job's like, I'm so righteous. I'm so cool. Why is my life so bad? All this stuff. And God said he was, I mean, God said he was a good guy. But when he gets to the end, God, God confronts him. Gird yourself like a man, Job. Let's have a discussion. I was having one of those on my sabbatical. Sabbatical is a place to rest. I'm like, I'm not resting. That's not rest, God. God's asking me a question. Please explain to me why you don't have time for me. Well, Lord, I mean, really, I mean, you're always with me. We're always together. No one else in here has made that excuse, right? I mean, I don't have to come to a place of prayer. I'm always with you, right? Listen to this. And Jesus went to a solitary place and prayed. Oh, whoops. You know, what am I going to say to the God of the universe who sent his son to die on the cross for my sins and rise again? What am I going to say to him? I'm going to leave heaven to come to earth. I'm going to do something very sacrificial, very inconvenient. I mean, excuse me, but I'm going to leave the worship of heaven where angels are doing flybys telling me how awesome I am to come to a people who reject me to find a few who will accept me. And I can barely get them to come seek me in the place of prayer. But they're going to get the cash in on heaven forever. You know, I think the problem that Jesus, when he was kicking over the temples, when he turned it into a convenience store, is is they had removed, these sharp guys, these sharp businessmen, they had found a way to remove effort from the worship of God. And I'm scared as we come into our new facility, right? Because we didn't even got to set up and tear down. That takes effort. Hey, God, it takes effort to worship you now. It's not going to take as much effort. We're going to walk in, flip on li- open locks, flip on lights. I mean, we even put this thing called a Lintec panel up in our electrical room. So within a few clicks, Mike can turn on all the stuff. And it's just on. Like, like we've done, we've spent money to make it easy for you to worship God. And when I come to the Jesus who flips over tables, I get a little concerned. I have friends, you know, I, I like, like, so the question is, if we're called to be a house of prayer, this is what a house of prayer looks like, and this is the problem of Jesus. What's that mean for sermons? Because I have people say, we're not called to be a house of sermons. We're called to be a house of prayer. For starters, church isn't a Sunday morning experience. Church is a 24-7 reality, which we're to live as the people of God at all times. So we aren't going to do everything on a Sunday morning. You guys don't do all this stuff on Sunday morning. Well, I'll do whatever the Holy Spirit tells me to do. 
But this, I feel like, is what he's generally given us to do here. People say, well, I don't experience prayer. I don't experience you guys doing spiritual gifts because you don't come to those meetings. And if you did, you would. Because we have a place for those things, like the place of prayer. You, you follow me. And I'm concerned we go into the facility. I, you know, we're going to have... We're going to have the sermons, and we're going to have coffee. I, mean, there's, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that. Shoot, we're going to have hazers, which make smoke. We're going to have an LED wall. I remember Jessica and I sitting watching Elevation Church, and they, they had these LED walls, and I'm like, mm. you gotta, I, I, I don't know. I've been on a like, seven-year journey to get my mind overhauled. I judged all that stuff, all of it. I could write the book of judgments. It would be good. Until Jesus looks at it. Anyway, uh, so I'm sitting there and I'm, and I'm, we're watching these LED wall, and I'm like, we're talking about it. I'm like, Jessica, what do you, I don't know. And I'm like, Lord, what do you think about that? I asked the Lord, what do you think about this? And I heard the Holy Spirit respond back immediately. The LED wall is the stained glass window of the 21st century. He said when, and I just had this thought, he didn't say this. It was kind of a thought that I packed. I'm willing to bet you, because I know human beings, that when they went from an open portal to glass windows, somebody had a problem. And then we went from glass windows to colored glass windows, little etchings in them and pictures. They really had a problem. Like, whoa, that's expensive, ostentatious. They're going to stop and park there at the window and get distracted from the presence of God. Folks, your, your, your mobile phone distracts you from the presence of God. Your little LED wall in your hand distracts you more than anything life was going to have. Are you following me? And, and so uh, there was one guy I was bothered. He was, he, was, he, was, he was another pastor. I like him a lot. I really do. I'm, so I mean this. That's why it bothered me. If I don't like you, I don't really care uh, your opinion. But I like this guy, and I like his opinions, and he says good stuff. But he was like, maybe the reason we don't have smoke, glory of God in our meetings and the presence of God in our meetings is because we have, we have these smoke machines, as if a smoke machine and the glory of God are somehow mutually exclusive. And then I called Barry Whistler up. He's one of the overseers and a pastor of my life and a friend of mine. I was like, yeah, that's what he's saying. He's a part of our dynamic. What do you think about all that? He's like, he said, well, I don't really get it. He's like, um, like the very first smoke machine was in Moses' tabernacle. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's like the altar of incense, right? They had to come, it's like this thing. They had to come light smoke and keep that, there's incense, that's smoke. And you know what happened in Solomon's temple? The glory of God fell at a house where man-made smoke was. What's the point? The point of all this little, this little what you think, when you think is a digression, it's not. It's just a, there's a point I want to make. And that point is this, the problem isn't necessarily our meetings and our methods, our, the problem is our hearts and what we make stuff. Joanna brought up in her message about Israel and the suffering symbol and what happened was there was a plague moving through Israel because of sin. And so God speaks to Moses and he says, tell, tell Aaron, you're going to take this rod, he makes this this symbol that has these two snakes on it or whatever, they're called the suffering symbol. You run out between the plague and the people. Oh, it may have been the plague of snakes, actually. You run out between the plague, uh, the, the, between the plague and the people. That means where it's attacked them already and where it hasn't. Where it hasn't touched the people yet. And I want you to go stand in between them. I want you to plant that thing in and say like Gandalf, this shall not pass. Because it didn't start with the Lord of the Rings. It started with a priest named Aaron who was following God. And it cut off the plague in Israel in that moment. But listen to this. Here's what's crazy. And I know Joanna said this, but it's worth thinking about. A God-ordained means of a move of God got worshipped in another generation, and he had them destroy it because they worshipped the move and not the God of the move. We can do that. We can take something that God's given us and put our focus on it. I know people, they're the, I love signs and wonders and miracles. I've seen lots of them. Not as many as I want to see, but I've seen enough to, to believe God does them. 
I don't, you know, when, if you take, if you hop on the highway now, you're going to go to Lancaster, right? And you start seeing signs to Ephrata or wherever you're going to get there, you know, or down 72, and you see signs. Could you imagine how strange it would be if you parked your car under the sign and stopped going to your destination? When you park under signs and wonders, you're doing the same thing. Like, 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 we, like, don't get rid, I need signposts to get me there. Signs and wonders point me to Jesus, but man, I don't want to, I want to go to Jesus. I don't want to become like Jesus. So here's the point. The temple was created to be a house of prayer. Prayer is a conversation. That conversation is the result of a relationship. That was the effort that was getting robbed, the effort to have a relationship with God and make it a ritual. I don't want that. I don't want that here in Lifeway. I didn't plant that. I want to be a house of His presence, not a house of rituals. If rituals lead me to His presence, I'll do, I'll do backflips if that will get me to the presence of God. But I want to meet with Jesus. I want to meet with God Almighty. Some of you don't even know that you can because you've been in dead churches your whole life. And I'm telling you, like I said, I've been all over the world. I've been in, I, in Vietnam. The Christians are persecuted there. I worshipped. You think it's hot in here? You should have been in their upper room in an August day, all the windows closed because they didn't want the communist government to hear us worshiping God. As they praised Him at the top of their lungs with all the effort, all the risk, you have more convenience, more opportunity, and yet less energy. And the question is why? Because I think you've you got something. You've got details that are blocking your calculator's ability to receive the light. What's calculating on the inside of you right now? Would you expose, the, as it were, the solar panel of your heart to the light of Jesus Christ and let Him energize you right now? Let Him fill you with His love and with His life again. Let's talk for a, a few minutes as I close here how we cleanse the temple. You know, Lydia and I, we were down in uh, Florida. We, that is a place for rest, as I said, for us, the white, God's white noise of the ocean, and it just brings me to a place of rest. It really does. And she's got an amazing ability to turn her switch off. I don't. She can shut off work like that, but like instantly. I'm like, I don't know how you do that. And she told me the other day when I was trying to talk work with her, I'm talking like, I was like yesterday, the other day being yesterday. She's like, we'll talk about work on Monday, and you know I will hit it hard. I said, in fact, I can describe her in one word, hard. Right? Right? Hard at prayer, hard at play, and hard at work. But she does it all. But she can navigate those things. I, I can't do it. So I was getting to this place of rest. Well, during this place of rest, we had filled our car up with sand. <laughs> I mean, I felt like I had like a quarter inch of sand on my mats. In my, it was lightly dusting all my seats. It was in the back of my trunk. It was everywhere. Everybody knows sand's pervasive. Okay. And so in the same way, you know, sin's pervasive. Like once you start touching it and playing with it, it just kind of gets everywhere in your life. Are you following me? So I took my car to this place, and I wanted to get it clean. And I took it to this place called Johnny's Car Wash. And, and I was going to pay for a detailing service. How many of you ever had your car detailed? If you haven't, you should do it. It's awesome. It's way better than you can clean it, I promise you, unless you happen to be a detailer. God bless you. You are a superhero in my life. Come talk to me. We'll get on a regular schedule. Anyway, uh, so I get there, and they take my car. And the first thing they did is they brought this guy over. His job was to walk around my car and look at all. I was going to do a nose-to-bumper whole thing, outside, inside. So he's looking over the blemishes and things in my car, the scratches. He's evaluating it, and they're like, and his, the, the person who brought him over is like, you know, like, what do we do, boss? He's like, hmm, yep, this is going to need some work. Let's do the clay, whatever, some kind of clay thing they put on there to, I guess, to see the scratch. They do this buffing thing, and they take it. It looked like they got a bunch of scratches out. I even know you could get out. And, and, but so they, before they do all that process, the first thing they had the guys do is the guys walked in, they begin to vacuum the car. They're vacuuming the car out. They get this kind of light vacuuming done. Uh, I think they run it around through the general car wash. So they start a light vacuum, light car wash. Then they go... 
uh, pulled her outside. They begin to, they begin to just dive into the interior details and, and dive into the exterior, and they begin to work all over the car for the purpose of restoring it to its original condition as much as possible. And I think there are details in our life that keep us from the presence of God. It's the finger over the solar panels that need to get dealt with. And I want to ask you this morning, if, if Jesus Christ was the, the boss, the detailer, and he's going around and he's looking at it, and, and, and I had this Mexican guy named Marcos, who was the guy who was cleaning the inside of my car. Mar- okay, so you need to understand something. Inwardly, I'm a Mexican. Outwardly, I'm just Irish. It's just weird, okay? So I got issues. In fact, I told Lydia, and, and I really like, like, I like break dance, and I like, you know, like when it's dance time, it's time to dance, right? Okay, so I like all that. So actually, I'm like every tribe tongue people in nation, because that's what's in the temple of heaven, right? So that's what's in me. And so I like Marcos, and Marcos is my guy. And Marcos, man, he's, because he works in the sun, I mean, he's Mexican, he's a dark Mexican, and he smiles like, you know, it's just bright smile. And, and Marcos is working on my car. And, and so Jesus, imagine this, his boss is like Jesus and Jesus is spending the car. And he tells Marcos who represents the Holy Spirit, here's what we got to go after to restore this to my original intent and purpose for their life. Okay. Imagine that's you. And that's what he's doing. Now I want you to imagine as they go to dive in and take get trash and things out of my car, right? Imagine it's a partner process where Jesus, the Holy Spirit and myself have to partner together for my car or the vehicle of my life to be cleansed because it does require that. It does require that. There's this mindset about grace, like, well, I shouldn't have to, like, if it's all about God's grace, I don't have to do anything. I just say yes to Jesus, and it's all on autopilot. That's not the way it works. I have guests staying at my house. Now, Lydia has been preparing food and stuff. Now, Lydia can get all the food ready, but she can't eat it for them. Grace equals God's provision to provide it, right? Faith says it's been provided for me, therefore I reach out and take it. Some people in here in this room today, you are stuck where you're at in some particular sin because God's grace has opened up a prison door, but you've not, you've refused to walk out. So imagine, go back to my analogy again. Imagine the vehicle is your life. And imagine they every time Marcos goes in there to pull out my thing, the Holy Spirit goes in here and he holds up this trash. He says to me, I say, I bring it in. I say, guys, I want this car restored as close to new as possible. They say, okay, we can do it. I say, okay, pray, praise the Lord. Praise you. If it's Jesus, we're talking about the analogy. And, they go, and so Marcos goes, and I says, I got this trash here. What do you want me to do with it? No, 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 I want to keep that. Well, what about this one? I want to keep that too. And he goes through the entire car and all its trash and all its sand and all its stuff. And I say, actually, I just want to keep all that. And he says, so what you're really saying is you don't want your car to be restored to new. What you're saying is you don't want your car to be cleaned. And some of us treat God the same way. We say yes to him in our words, but then when we live our lives and he goes to get stuff, we say no. And we need to repent. This is what he's kicking over in our lives today. These are the tables he's flipping over in our lives. Would you stand to your feet? I want to tell you what Jesus did for you. Jesus came from heaven to earth. He did that. For those of you, if you're new to the God, you're new to Jesus, you're new to church. You're like, who's this crazy guy up front? What's he talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, God, 
came in the form of human flesh, born of a virgin. That story's crazy to people, but if you've been around at Christmas here in the United States, you know what I'm talking about. You've kind of heard that story and think, this is weird that people believe this. I believe a God created the earth in uh, six days, so I'm not, I'm not really struggling with believing in miracles. I believe a guy 2,000 years ago de- prophesied and declared his own death and resurrection then pulled it off, so I might as well just believe everything else he said. Are you following me? Jesus came from heaven to earth to die on a cross for your sins, and he rose again. That those believing in him wouldn't have to pay for their sins. In other words, imagine that's the vehicle. And say your vehicle's really beat up. Like it's not just going to need a detail job. It needs quarter panels replaced. And it needs a new paint job altogether. Okay, imagine that's the vehicle of your life. This buyer comes along and you say, he says, how much for your car? You're like, no, $250, It's just not worth much, man. I'd give it to you for free, but I need some money. Okay, I'll give you $20,000 for it. But it's not worth $20,000. Here's the point. You're, the value of the, the vehicle is not determined ultimately by the seller, by the buyer, right? And the buyer's insisting, no, you're, you're, this is what I'm going to give you. When Jesus looked at our lives, the $20,000 that he paid or whatever that number would be to be realistic today, he, he gave his life. In other words, you look at yourself and go, I'm not worthy of God or, or my life's kind of a mess or, or I don't even need God. Maybe you think you're better than he is or whatever. And the value Jesus placed on your life was the value of his own life. He said, you're worthy. People say, I'm not worthy of God. I'm like, yes, you are, because Jesus paid for your worth. And when he died for you, so, so, but what's the point? When Jesus died for you and died to declare worth over you, all you have to do, just like me setting out the fruit basket or whatever it is, if I offer backstage, you need a pass, I'm gonna buy you some backstage passes to see the artist, your favorite music artist, and you, and I, and you didn't pay for anything, you still have to show up. Do you follow what I'm saying? The grace of God sent the Son, Jesus, His Son, God sent His Son, Jesus, to the cross to die for your sins, that, that you, if you believe in Him and receive it, you could have eternal life, but you've got to go to that place called faith and receive that grace by faith. In fact, the Bible says it this way, we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Where's it at? It's in this place called faith to find help in our time of need. Folks, all of us need help. All of us need our lives restored. All of us need a new quarter panel or a paint job or something in our inner man. You know what I'm saying? But also, there's some, that's some of you who just need to receive Jesus for the first time. Some of you are here today, and you need, you, you follow Jesus. In fact, you believe God called you to life way to restore you and, and to help you reconnect with your, God's intended purpose for your life. You know what he wants from you? He wants you to surrender to his leadership and lordship again. Quit trying to fix the car on your own. Bring the car into the garage. And when he goes after something, don't say, nope, I want to keep that. Nope, I want to keep that. Say, nope, I want, yes, I want this clean. Yes, I want this clean. Yes, I want this clean. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? If you're here today and you're saying, man, I've not received Jesus. Um, Something's being stirred. I don't even want to call what I'm feeling right now. Something's happening to me right now. And I want what you have. What is that? I want that. If that's you today, Jesus paid for it. He wants to give it to you. And if you're here today, I'm not going to embarrass you or call you up, but I want to agree with you in prayer. If you're here today and that's you, I don't care if you've been in church your whole life, but something's stirring. I'm asking you to raise your hand high right now and I'll pray for you. Can you put those down? If you're here today and you're saying, I know Jesus, but I, I, need to, I, I need to surrender. I need to quit resisting when he's going after stuff and let him have it. And I want to let him into that place of working holiness and grace because of love, because of what he's done. I want to respond in the same way. If that's you today, would you raise your hand high? Folks, I'm raising my hand. I want this. 
We put our hands down. Would you, all of you, pray this with me? This is a prayer that will apply for you for the first time. Through surrender your life to Jesus, it will apply to us who want to surrender again. Say, God, forgive me. Forgive me for making worship convenient. For living a life that puts the energy on what I want and not what you want. I ask you to forgive me of that. And I confess that as sin. Jesus, I ask you to be Lord of my life. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to fill me with the Holy Spirit. And I ask you to begin calling the shots in my life. I surrender to your leadership. When I fail to follow, I invite you to correct me by the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to say yes because I want the vehicle of my life clean and cleansed. So I invite you to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God thanks for those who said yes to Jesus.